Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Get Clean Podcast. I'm your host, Khalil Sharad, and this is episode 56. In this episode, I will be interviewing Alex Lewis. Alex owns his own training company called Elevated Training Company on Instagram. He's Westside Barbell. Um, what did he say? Special Strength Certified. Uh, he's also FRC Certified, and... Um, He likes to say that he uses conjugate programming along with FRC combined with mental and nutritional coaching to deliver results to help people win. So he's like a jack of all trades. Um, Well, I hope you guys enjoy. Let's get clean. Yo, it worked that time, man. How's it going? (laughs) Good, you? Good, man. Where you at right now? Uh, I'm in my house. So I live near Boulder. Where is that? California? Uh, Colorado. Colorado. I was close. I was close. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> see. And we get a lot of people from California that move here, so they try to make it like California, unfortunately. <laughs> hippie this and hippie that, huh? <laughs> uh, well, those are like the actual Boulder people. The California people are like these trust fund kids who come out oh, and pretend right. yes, like they're yes. poor. Yes. They're yes, like, yes, oh, yes. no, I actually have money. I just want to pretend like I'm homeless. Like, wait, what? <laughs> Fucking oh. hate that shit. It's a weird place to grow up in because it's just a bunch of privileged people that don't realize how privileged they are. I have so many people that, like, when I was in New York, that would move to California and would move back because they're like, yeah, I just hate the people and the driving. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I don't know why you went out there. Everybody knows that, though. Yeah. The only, I've been to San Diego, and that was the only part of California. I was like, well, this is pretty cool. But then you see how much they don't take care of it. And I'm like, well, never mind. <laughs> This is a nice thing about here. Anytime I've gone anywhere else, I'm like, it's not as nice as home, so I guess I'll go back there. All right, well, just start by telling everybody who you are, what you're doing. Uh, So my name is Alex Lewis. I run my own strength and conditioning company. It's called Elevated Training Company. Um, I started this after the pandemic started because they basically took my job, and I sat at home for a week playing 2K, and I was like, (laughs) I can't do this the whole fucking time. So I had someone reach out and ask you know, <clears throat> would I be willing to do kettlebell classes outside? And I was like, yeah, for sure. So I started with just doing kettlebell classes. And then when I went back to my uh, regular corporate gig at like the local Gold's Gym, it was a matter of like, I don't know, two thirds of my clientele weren't coming back. So I was like, I could either rebuild clientele there again, where I was already basically making as much as I could make or take a chance and try to start my own thing. So the last 18 months or so, I've just been figuring out all that stuff. What's your primary um, type of clientele? Uh, so I train anywhere from like high level athletes to like elite professionals. It's really more like a, a mindset that I'm looking for, not necessarily a type of, I guess it is a type of person, but not like it doesn't have to be a certain athlete or anything like that, you know? Mm. So taking that what? West Side Special Strengths course, that whole thing is based on how do you apply this stuff to any sport? Right. Uh, you can take that a step further and with the general population, you just kind of tone it down a bit and then you don't have to do, you know, as much intensity usually. Yeah. <laughs> you have like a lot of um, older clients that you still are lifting with? Uh, so I had like three of them follow me from my old job, but most of that's just I rebuilt now. So now I do a lot more online coaching stuff that I wasn't doing before, which is really nice because it allows me oh, to I'm at age. I'm at age wise. I like, do you have a lot of like old like, a, do you yeah. have any old people that you live for? Because I know that always turns heads. Yeah, I'm always no, like, shit, sure. they can rack pull and box what? I got a, <laughs> I got a 65 year old client who's got three stints in his heart and pulls almost 400 Ooh. pounds at 160 pound body weight. 
<laughs> so yeah, no, definitely have the older clients. I have two people, they still don't like really going out to the gym, so I go to their house and train them and we literally only use kettlebells and TRX straps, maybe some bands. Now the place like besides those people, um are you like paying rent out of a, a gym and you just train them there? Yep. Like yeah, so I train out of a local gym called Gym 5 in Boulder. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a high-performance training facility. So imagine like every toy you could ever want for your athletes to train on. They almost have all that stuff readily available. And then it's more of a, it's a private facility too, so we don't have a lot of Gen Pop people in the way and stuff like that. So. Mm. Well, and then do they only do uh... – like, do they only have uh, trainers that just pay the rent or do they have in-house trainers too? So the owner is a trainer himself. He's a coach. He did powerlifting mm-hmm. for like, I think, 10, 12 years, something like that. And mm-hmm. that's what kind of inspired him to build the gym. And then, so he coaches people. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of us pay rent. But... Okay. That sounds pretty cool. So I know nobody's in each other's way. No, not necessarily. I mean, he uh, will refer us leads for people that he thinks that join the gym that may be potentially a good fit and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then, like, his website, it helps with marketing and certain things like that, too. So, Okay. Oh, so Zio still give you guys people, but you didn't charge your own price, and then you can just pay your fee a month. Yep. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. Or, like, I even worked out a deal where I started getting uh, members to sign up for my programming. And then it's kind of worked out to where I can just kind of make the money off the programming and then that covers the rent. Hmm. Um, are you the only conjugate user there? Yeah, when I started there, I wasn't. There was a guy, uh, Cooper Napoli. He was conjugate guy there. I know he interned at Westside for a while. And then there's oh, wow. another guy, uh, Adam Dobrez, who was a conjugate guy that worked there. But he just trains there now and does online coaching. So I was one of three. Now I am the only one, yes. Do the other ones ever give you any shit? <clears throat> no, no. So Cooper was super nice. Like when I went through the special strength cert, he mm-hmm. would give me a really good outline on how to, which books to read in what order and stuff like that. And then he was the one when he interned for the eight weeks that he was there, he had to do all the grading. So he mm-hmm. prepped me for that basically by always asking why. <laughs> when you did the test, what books did you uh, primarily read and study? All of them, man. Have you ever seen the the shipment that they give you? No, no, no. I, I took the test. I already passed the exam. I was just wondering, like, what you how you did it. Yeah, no. So well, there's they have an option where they send you all the books, mm-hmm. and it's literally here. I'll read them off to you. Let's see how many. There's like 15 of them. So I tried to read every single one of them. So I went through. You got like they send you the science and practice of strength training, the book mm-hmm. of methods, the special strength development one, explosive strength for jumping. Olympic lifting manual, super training, basic physics, bench press manual, strength manual for running, explosive power and jumping ability for all sports, science of sports training, uh, facts and fallacies of fitness, the book, uh, squat and deadlift training manual, and then these crazy Russian Olympic lifting journals, basically. So I read, I don't know, like half of super training. I read all of the West Side books. I read all of science and practice of strength training um all of the science of sports of strength training the jumping book um yeah so i took literally an hour or two a day for six months and just read through all of those yeah it was funny like i was lucky i just i think so i just took the exam 
but I started taking, I started reading the books just like when I was like 21. Oh, I just okay. like would read them like as I, as I went, like I took the personal training one probably like two, three years ago, but I still like had already read, like I, when I took the test, I didn't even study for it because it had been like, I'd already read it a bunch and yeah, I just so, listened to all the podcasts. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I went the the commercial route because like the only thing around here when I wanted to start training was commercial gyms. So mm-hmm. I went and got the stupid NASM certification and then kept right. re-upping with those to keep my job. And then when I left, I was like, well, I would rather train more athletes and I'm looking into it. And then I found the CSCS thing and I'm like, well, this is a fucking racket. I have to get a four-year degree to be a part of a club. Yes. To, yes. to do strength training. I'm like, that's why I don't make... have it. <laughs> I was like, it makes no sense. So then I reached out and uh, Cooper was like, yeah, do the West Side one. I found the, like, so the, the all the books in the test is $1,000. I was like, all right, whatever. And that was like the first introduction of like investing in myself. And then yeah. once I got done with that, like my training was so much better for all my clients that client retention went up and all that other stuff. That was like the first thing of like, oh, lesson number one, don't be afraid to invest in yourself to make your business better. Uh, what are the, do you have any um, other like uh, athlete type certifications as well? Uh, not necessarily athlete specific. I went through, there's, are you familiar with N1 education? No. Okay, so they're a company that's actually out here as well. They're kind of they're actually down the street from our gym. Um, I took their biomechanics and anatomy course, and it's probably mm-hmm. one of the best biomechanics and anatomy courses you can take in probably the entire world because um, it's all based in actual practical use. It's not oh, really okay. looking at it in, from a textbook. Like right. you'll you'll go over some of that stuff, but you have to go to their four day practical at their facility, and they take you through, you know, mm-hmm. what it is that the muscles are actually trying to do and how they work best. And then how you can bias different divisions of those muscles and things like that. Um, so that was really eye-opening. Kind of just took the programming to a whole other level as far as being able to manipulate different variables for different stimulus. Mm. What? Um, how much was that one? Uh, I think I'm trying to think. I think the course is fifteen hundred and the practical is fifteen hundred. Oh wow! How long does it take? Uh, the course you basically have access to forever. It's, it's, I want to say, what is it? It's fucking, I don't know, 20 hours, 30 hours of video. And mm-hmm. then the practical is a four day thing. You just uh, come out to Colorado for, and mm-hmm. you spend four days working out twice a day, going over all the different muscles and the best ways to, you know, optimally hit them in the gym. If you have access to that type of stuff. That's pretty dope. That sounds a lot better than just a person that, yeah, reads the books and, Knows all the fucking bones and muscle shit, and it's just like, oh yeah, right, no, you said how the shit moves. <laughs> well, and like the interesting thing is, like they're they invest a lot of money in their research that they make from training. So they have all these things that they've studied and run tests on, and they've figured out, you know, what is going to bias this portion of the lats better, or what movements are actually working with the lats the most, and stuff like that. Whereas before, we're just watching all these freaks get huge, and we're like, oh, let's try that. Well, for the general person, that's not going to work. Yeah, like I'm sure as you know, in this industry, you have these freak athletes and everyone assumes that what they do is going to work for them and it necessarily doesn't work that way. (laughs) Right. And then you get the ones that make money off of coaching who some of them are really good coaches, but some of them are probably not that good of coaches because coaching is a whole different skill set. Right. Right. And if you're genetically gifted and you can look at a weight and pick up 10 pounds of muscle just by looking at it, well, that's not going to work for most people what uh what type of athletes are you uh you know team sport wise what do you get what are you working with right now uh, actually i don't think i have any team sport athletes at the moment 
Um, I grew up playing basketball, so I would always be interested in helping them in strength and conditioning because it's something they don't even talk about. Yeah. Right. So that's the one sport that's severely lacking there. Um, I have some jujitsu athletes at the moment. Um, I have a strongman athlete who's pretty good as far as the amateurs go. He's working on getting his pro card. And then um, I coach some coaches as well. So that's kind of a nice little niche thing. Outside of that, it's more of like elite professionals as far as like engineers or lawyers, stuff like that. Tell me about your jujitsu guys. How are you uh, out like uh, laying out their program? How many days uh, a week and all that? So the one girl that I have, she is really active as far as jujitsu goes. So they all like to practice all the time. So that whole 80-20 rule that we try to follow, you kind of have to throw that out the window. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like that's just they're addicted to it. So like I have her doing uh, two days of pretty intense strength training. And then we're doing like mini workouts the other three days and then just giving her the weekend off. Cause that's usually when the tournaments and stuff are, um, <clears throat> but finding out, you know, where their threshold is and how they respond to the stress is where you kind of have to manipulate those variables a little bit differently. Like we started with a conjugate type thing that we were doing actually, what was it? No, that was three days of conjugate stuff and two days of mini workouts. So we were doing mm-hmm. like a, uh, max effort day which is usually like a three rep max not necessarily a one rep max all the time unless they're highly trained mm-hmm. and then like the repetition day on the middle day to get in some extra volume and hypertrophy for any weaking or lagging parts and then like the friday i would do more of the dynamic work and for people that aren't you know to that level of strength to really be doing speed work and stuff i'll do like a five by five with 30 seconds rest <clears throat> to work on that same conditioning component mm-hmm. You know, and we'll just do straight weight as opposed to the accommodating resistance as well. Because, I don't know, I find it really hard to use the West Side stuff when you don't meet the certain criteria, like a 300-pound press or a 400-pound squat or a 400-pound pull. Right, yeah. So really following what they recommend is hard to do. And um, through the conjugate tactical stuff that I've done, a lot of what Gus talks about is just, you know, progressing them with straight weight in the beginning and then working their way up to that, you know, accommodating resistance. When you do your um, two max ever days with her, are you doing – how are you rotating between, like, the squat, deadlift? I don't know if you do good mornings. I know a lot of people do emphasize that with the jujitsu people. So, like, um, if I was going to do the, the three-week wave, I would make sure that the squat, bench, and deadlift or some variation of those mm-hmm. was tested at least on a test max, right, or mm-hmm. a, a three-rep max. And I'll kind of alternate between those two. And then the second day that I do is really just more hypertrophy based. So what so I you don't do, up, you don't say like, cause you say you don't do any speed squats or speed deadlifts, but you're doing five by five, but what's the percentage you're using of her squat? Is it explosive strength? Weight, yeah, or is so it more, more like, like uh, 80%, 85%? Uh, probably like 65 to 75 okay. for the straight weight. Cause I still wanted them to work on that intent. Right. Right. So there's a lot of people, they, and it, especially in jujitsu, everything is really slow. They're not yeah. really thinking about the explosive parts, right? So that intent of getting someone to understand firing their neurological system and getting everything to move as fast as possible, that's been the biggest struggle applying conjugate to the general population. Right. Um, and like I've done, the, I've done the conjugate tactical stuff. And when Gus talks about it, he says, you know, you can progress them with just five by five until they get strong enough in absolute strength that then they can go ahead and start using accommodating resistance. So I've kind of applied that just kind of across the board. When when you're doing like let's say atrophy 
maxes out lower body or upper body wise, how many ex- uh, accessories is she doing after that? So the way I split the days up because it's really more of like a full body workout instead of the upper lower that the West side uh, split uses, I'll do like, so a top set of one on the lower body and then maybe like a top set of three to five on the upper body. Mm -hmm. And then the accessory work, there's usually two exercises supporting each. Um, And then that second repetition day that I have is where I do a lot more of that accessory work as well. That mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. So it's kind of splitting that max effort day almost into two days and using that middle day during the week as extra volume for both of the dynamic and the max effort stuff. How much um, reverse hypers do you ever do? <clears throat> she doesn't have access to one. So at the moment. Oh, no. is this online? Yeah, yeah this online. is a. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about, um? does she have belt squat? Uh, Nope. Just she's at a basic gold gym, unfortunately. So like we've done. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the, the I mean that's the cool thing is like you have to learn all this information, but it's the application, right? So yeah. it's how are you able to apply it to someone in their certain scenario? Yeah, and that's the part of the job that I enjoy the most. I think is customizing it to make it not only sustainable for somebody, but actually work within the confines of what they're comfortable doing or that they have the ability to do. You know, things like that. Because I myself am obsessive and try to find like the best of the best. That's what drew me into the conjugate stuff. And when I was running myself through the programming, I could do all the things that it was asking me to do. But I quickly found out after getting certified through all of it, I go, most people are not equipped to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> like even uh, I, my strongman is probably one of the most gifted athletes I've ever seen in my entire life. And the conditioning portion on a dynamic day, he was just not even close to being ready for in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> is he a big boy? Oh, yeah. He's huge. He's a 6'4", 380. Oh shit! Yeah, he he's doing a belt squat three by three minute shit. Well, I mean, yeah, at least at the beginning, yeah. So, like, what I have him do uh, is he does run dynamic days five by five with that thirty second rest period to work on the conditioning part. So he is so gifted neurologically that we don't necessarily have to max out all the time with him. Mm -hmm. Um, His strongman workouts, he'll maybe max out. Like yesterday, he had an overhead log press for a fifteen pound PR with absolutely terrible form, and he even knew it was bad form. Like there was no leg drive. <laughs> and so that's been a 15 pound increase and we haven't even been practicing the log. Like, so it's just one of those things, you know, once you get this stuff working synergistically and you understand, especially like the anatomy portion where I can manipulate working different muscles without necessarily having to do the specific movement that they need to get better at, especially like yeah. strength sports athletes, because they're some of the worst of not getting them to practice what they're doing as much. Because once mm-hmm. again, that 80, 20 rule, if we can follow that, we're going to have much better in time with, you know, law of accommodation and stuff like that. So I think that's where the biomechanics and anatomy has really taken what you can use the conjugate for and added another level to that. As, as far with the, with the strong man guy, how mm-hmm. much overhead pressing is he doing versus, uh, you know, uh, bench pressing? If so, he ever bench presses. I'll throw those in there. We had him do a powerlifting meet. Uh, as okay. part of his off season, but also, eh, I would say out of the rotations, there's probably one bench press for every five pressing rotations that we go through on movements, right? 20% yeah. of the time, there's maybe a bench in there. Um, but like, I'll do a 60 degree incline, or we'll do a neutral grip overhead press, or you know what I mean, different stuff like that. And like, for his sport, the barbell is different than the log, so right. <clears throat> Do you do a lot of like a football bar overhead press and stuff like that to switch it up between the logs? 
Uh, so the football bar we have is the 45 degree angle one. So yeah, that would be a good advantage here. But if you think mm. like normal terms, that log is still going to be that neutral. So the nice thing with yeah. the football bar is you could come in narrower, maybe work a little more tricep. Right. And stuff like that. Um, but once again, you know, using dynamic correspondence, especially like that was the big thing I took out of the West Side stuff is if you can refer to dynamic correspondence from super training and the dynamic systems theory, you can really break all these down into much smaller movements and improve those weaknesses without necessarily having trained the big movement. Yeah. And like with him, he's so neurologically advanced that he can, you know, I can have him peak within three weeks of just by practicing the movement once a week. You know what I mean? You, for the uh, deadlift, how, how much do you allow him to use straps versus not in training? Well, strongman, they get to use them in competition. So I just let him go, oh, go ham on it if he wants okay. to. <laughs> yeah but like because i know also, also like you're trying to work the grip too right because so yeah, much of this stuff is grip work so mm-hmm. i'm always yeah, like well, how much he... stuff like yeah. that so it, like on he gives one day of like that's all strongman stuff is what i do so his is like a 60 66 33 split right so he gets like four or five lifts on the saturday to do strongman stuff because that's how the strongman like to train so mm-hmm. i've kind of adapted it to that's where we do more Basically, he does like almost two dynamic days during the week. So, so two days would be what more of a max effort type principle. And uh, the so two dynamic days would be on the strongman stuff strictly. With just the way his body responds, so he's once again. So, if you're talking about, you know, the three different things you can train for with strength, you have the neurological response, which is usually that one to five rep range, right? You can have hypertrophy, which is just building mass or getting making the cell larger. And then you have a metabolic response you can train for, which is the actual conditioning of the muscles, right? So with him, his neurological is through the roof. So I don't necessarily need to be adding too much to that too often. But I do need to add more muscle tissue size so we can keep increasing that strength. And we need to condition that muscle so that he can sustain for these events and can recover for more workouts. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'll use his strongman Saturday is like that's his max effort day because I know no matter what I can tell him anything in the world. But when you get in that room with all those people, they're going to do something probably stupid and max out on at least one <laughs> exercise. That's just the, the nature of the beast. Right. So then what I do is I'll take those dynamic days and one will be that upper focus five by five, 30 seconds rest. And the other one will be a lower focus five by five. Now, where I've switched it from what Westside does is instead of them being upper and lower days, I'm looking at the amount of tissue that I'm training each day and trying to make it as even as possible so that the recovery can be similar. Mm. Uh, deadlift wise, how much do you do trap bar versus uh, uh, like sumo or conventional? Because I know a lot of guys that train strongman, they do a lot of trap bar because it's like similar to a lot of the movements. So yeah, I think it's a really good carryover. Um, so like, especially because we have an open trap bar and Mm. we actually got a one. Uh, we have a, yeah, it's similar to that. We have a prime fitness one that was a prototype. Um, so it's really overbuilt, but Mm. for the strongman, it's perfect for carries because we can load it so heavy. Um, Mm. I like the open trap bar because you can do split squats. So you can then bias either the glutes more or the quads more, or just focus on kind of a balance component. Mm. Right. Um, and then, yeah, you can do even like a squat with it and you can, you know, get like a heel elevation and do more of a squat motion or you can do a conventional deadlift. Um, so as far as versatility goes, I think that's a really unique piece and can be really beneficial for a lot of people. 
Do you do you have him? If he, I don't know if he has access to it, but do you have him do reverse hybrids? Uh, not a whole lot yet, but yeah, we do have one at the gym. Oh, so he's with you in person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But not a whole lot. Is it just because he's so big? Yeah, partially. I mean, I don't really know how comfortable it's going to be for him on there. And there's, <laughs> you know, several other ways that we can still work those muscles individually. Mm. I'm thinking more for the traction part because oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking because the back, I'm sure, gets beat up, especially because they're just large. Yeah. So one of the things I specialize in is a functional range conditioning. I don't know. If oh, okay, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I've been trying to get some of the local strongmen kind of tuned into <laughs> that stuff and utilizing <laughs> that because everything How's that going? Uh, it went really well yesterday when I was talking to, I was helping a couple of the 105ers. So they're the weight class below the heavyweight. Right. Um, they're the more, I want to say normal size people, but they're still not really normal sized. <laughs> they're more What's 105, of, like 240. Yeah. 230. Okay. That's so that's, 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 that's like me. That's like, that's regular. That's not the fucking 380. God damn. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, these guys are still ridiculous freaks. Like the 105 overhead press record is like 410 or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like what so but they have a little bit more athletic base to them to where they and that's the interesting thing about my strong man is he's so big but he's very athletic he played uh center for cu and yeah, that makes sense the kid can just move and it's crazy because when someone's that big they're not supposed to move like that um yeah. but yeah so just trying to get people to understand the mobility portion of stuff and what drew me to the frc was it's based in principles much like a lot of the conjugate stuff is and it's a lot of the same principles, even. So what? So now, what? What joints are you foc? Are you focusing a lot on hips, shoulders, and like spinal mobility with him? Or are you doing full body? Like how do you how do you kind of organize it? Because I'm I'm sure the bigger the person gets, like I already have a hard time doing it myself. I was like, oh fuck, I got to do the goddamn cars. I got to do the pails and rails after work. I was like, shit. Yeah. So so far, I've only been able to introduce the cars pretty consistently with them. But the okay. process that I kind of use with most people is like you started with hips are always going to be first, um, spine and shoulders. Okay. So cool. doing some variation of pails rails for each of those things and the principles that FRC uses is internal rotation is one of the key performance indicators that we always look for. So whenever it comes to shoulders or hips, because we have so much internal external rotation capability, those are going to be the ones that we start with first. So generally, a lot of times the reason people's hips don't work is they don't have that ability to rotate inside. And so think about what's happening like when we're squatting with the way our pelvis is shaped at a V, right? That femur has to rotate internally and externally for us to get to parallel. Right. A lot of times like, I can't squat to parallel. Well, it's because people, what they do, if you watch when they sit down, They'll squat halfway to where their quads support them, and then they plop down. So they're not right. really using the bottom half of that movement, right? Mm-hmm. And over time, what I think is happening here, and I don't really know for sure, but if you're not using that tissue, well, it then becomes like dead tissue, right? So right. what the FRC mm-hmm. is allowing us to do is get us into these passive ranges so we don't have control on them necessarily when we start. And by using isometrics, it triggers satellite cells to come over, and they can lay down new tissue in the direction that we're applying force. Right. So the only way cells communicate is by force. So if there's no force, directional force being applied to this tissue, which your joint capsule is right next to your bone. And it's also the first tissue that um, indicates any type of movement or recognizes any movement. So if those things aren't being stimulated all the time, then you have no way in order to keep them in good working order. Right. 
and then they go, oh, it's bone on bone. And I, I think a lot of the times is no, those are that's just dead tissue on bone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And with medical industry being an industry, it's like, well, we'll just replace it for you. Yep. Yep. You know, so like I even have a client, he's got a, a hip <clears throat> replacement, and <clears throat> I still make him do the pales rails because I need to get that neurological drive and that neurological control back in that hip so that he can actually use it correctly now. Which um which church do you have there? Just the FRC or do you have the Yeah, just the FRC. I haven't done any of the functional assessment stuff or the functional release. Okay. With um what about with your jujitsu girl, being that they have so many demands like on the neck and the low back and all that and even their ankles, everything. Like what what do you kind I know you probably want to still start with those basic three, but do you branch out and do you have other ones that are supposed that are really important? Yeah, so what what I've done with her is I've kind of used her as a guinea pig for more jujitsu based workout type stuff. So this has been kind of an experimenting thing that we've been doing since we started. And yeah, I started with the basic stuff, and then like just the cars give people such relief. It's it's a hilarious thing to me that just moving in that. So like (laughs) she noticed it, you know, within two weeks of just doing cars, and then after a couple more sessions, we did, you know, a lot of hip pales rails, some shoulder stuff, and some spine stuff, and then I started giving her that as part of her workout so like the way i really like to utilize frc is like that's my warm-up for my workout i'm going to sit here and i'm going to do my cars and i'll do maybe 10 20 minutes of pales rails and then i'm going to go do whatever i'm doing and the way i like to program it is a lot of times i'm opening up joint capacities for whatever it is you're about to do especially Mm -hmm. that first main lift right the big thing i found is because one of the rounds of doing pales rails is going to be a max effort well that's a neurological stimulus and much like jumping for dynamic day is really important to prime the nervous system. I found this is like another layer that we can add on top of that. Right. And it's getting everything ready and getting you used to applying effort even. So like a lot of the general population, you can give them a max effort lift, but I guarantee you they're not trying as hard as they can. Mm -hmm. And I find it with the FRC all the time. I go, we're doing isometrics. So there's no reason you cannot be trying as hard as you can. I go pretend I'm putting a gun to your head and Mm -hmm. you have 20 seconds to try as hard as you possibly can. And even then, a lot of times they may not have it in the beginning, right? So that just then further uncovers that, oh, there's a neurological skill here Mm -hmm. that has to be present in order to get the stimulus that we look for, right? Like one thing I thought was interesting when I met Ed Cohen last week is he talked about his intent in each workout was to move it as fast as he could, much like he would on the platform. And I go, that's some deep level shit because most people don't ever think that way. Like he was talking about, he liked lifting in the off season to get bigger. And I'm like, people don't apply that to her hypertrophy to lift heavier, to get bigger, better hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. Like, they're doing it. And you can still be slow and controlled because it's the intent of trying to move heavyweight fast. You're not going to move it fast. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that was an interesting thing, like an insight to him. And I was like, man, this guy is really cerebral in the way he looks at training and everything that he does. And so like, how'd you meet him? Person, uh, went to a seminar he did. Oh, wow. Okay. You want to talk about a fucking... I had thrown my back out earlier in the week and then I did a bunch of FRC all week long to get better. Mm-hmm. And then the workout the day before I did was just too much volume for my weak spots, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I go into the seminar feeling just thrashed already. And he's like, Oh yeah, we're going to squat bench and dead. <laughs> all of you are. And I go, uh, what? <laughs> so oh, no. after just fucking on my back on Zercher squats, I had to mentally get through that barrier and do, uh, some deadlifts and squats in front of them to make sure I knew how to do them for powerlifting. <laughs> but it was actually a really cool experience because everyone's just out there uh, trying to do what they would think is their best form. And he just comes around and coaches you up. 
What did you learn form-wise biggest from him for each of the three lifts? Uh, from what I was doing, as far as applying it to powerlifting, I needed mm. to bring the bar down lower, which I just don't really have the shoulder mobility for it to want to stay there. So that yeah. was the main reason I didn't ever really do that before. Um, he, he told me I squatted like a Olympic weightlifter, which that's just how my biomechanics work naturally. Yeah. But so it's kind of more of that wider sumo stance a little bit and knees out, not so much straightforward like I was doing before. Um, and then like, ironically, the deadlift is where I thought I would need the most help. And most of that I already kind of had in place. And the way I look at it is I'm just trying to line my, I like to line my knee up with my ankle. Cause I think you're going to get a better line of pull that way, as mm. opposed to, you know, the super wide stance that some people use and then just yeah. really trying to spread the legs or spread the taint as Eddie would say, and just bracing all of that and getting tension before you try to piston off the floor. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was the big thing learning through west side is really how to deadlift and i found that to be pretty fascinating because everything before that was just trial and error on my own accord for the last 10 years you know so i practiced on myself for five and then i got clients after that and practiced on them for another five and then finally decided to read some books (laughs) (laughs) what about the bench uh the bench it was actually i don't even think i got him to see my bench but um Uh, a lot of what he was talking about it similar cues that what I use for people like bending the bar and have to engage the lats, right. And just really working on getting as much tension through the body as possible. So that the part that you're using is what you're actually isolating and getting forced to put through, you know? And one thing I've learned a long time ago is like, you can transfer energy through your body. If you have good stability through your body and you have a good, you know, stable footing. Right. So if you think about that ability, if force is never created nor destroyed, it's just transferred we can transfer more energy from the ground through our body to pull more weight if we know how to set up in the correct way. Right. Right. Like that's why the wedging on the deadlift is so important. Like you really want to get as much tension in there because one, you need to tell your posterior chain that something's about to happen. Right. So I think a lot of people give deadlift a bad rap because they don't have good pulling mechanics and then they surprise the shit out of their posterior chain. (laughs) Like all of a sudden it's like, Oh, Hey, look at all this weight. It's like, no, that's not how this works. Because even though the first part of it is quads, right, to drive off the ground, you should be, you know, hinged back a little bit to get that posterior chain at least activated. Yeah. So how do you do with uh, getting people to pull the slack out the bar? Because that's literally something I don't do. <laughs> you don't pull the slack <laughs> out of the bar? <laughs> people have told me, like, yeah, cool. You, you probably got, like, another 40, 50 pounds if you just pull the slack out of the bar. I don't know why. Dude, I it's just a, like it's something I don't do at all. It, it's a huge difference. Head. I would uh, I would slow down what you're doing. Like I think of it as a ritual, or you know, um, you know, you got to go through the steps, right? So like I always start at my feet. Like I need to get my mm-hmm. feet locked in place, and then if I'm pulling sumo, I feel the abductors getting tension, right? And then I'm feeling the back of my hips getting a little bit of tension. And then when I'm going to grab the bar, I'm gonna go ahead and press those scapulas down and back and try to bend that bar in half. And then like for me, what I do is I start to almost pull it off the ground or try to pull it towards me right and if it's a heavy weight you'll start to feel the bar bend and really at that time that's when i just try to think of like think of like a jump right explode Mm -hmm. and if you can get all that kinetic energy built up you will yeah you'll pull that thing off the ground way easier something i need to like work on watch videos on or something because like i feel like everything else in my setup is pretty good but i'm always like oh slack out the bars like oh uh i don't know (laughs) <laughs> no, we'll have to, we'll do a Zoom call. I'll, I'll take you through it. I think we can fix that no problem. Because like another thing you can think about doing is like a way to do it is you get all that tension and then you just kind of roll the weight back, right? Like you're kind of sitting back. Right. And you start pulling on the bar. 
it's just that wedging into the bar thing that you need to get, you know, just ingrained in your process. Yeah, I think yeah. if you feel the difference, you'll be like, holy shit. Because it literally feels like a feather when it comes off the ground. Yeah, that shit don't feel like a feather. That shit got <laughs> cement. <laughs> starting at like four, like starting at like late 400, that shit starts feeling like cement. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's going to be part of it too, right? But yeah, I think if you get really good slack out of the bar, you probably just launch that thing right off the ground. <laughs> yeah, because my, like when I got, so my first meet last year, I finally pulled six and that's what I wanted to do. But literally, like, once it gets, like, below my knees, it looks literally like a maybe a 75% speed pull. Oh, so really? it's like people, like, put some weight on the bar the next time. And I'm like, nah, the beginning just feels like complete shit. Do you do any <laughs> deficit pulls at all? I do a lot of deficit. I think it's just that I just, when it comes to, like, pulling the slack on the bar, I'm just not even doing Because I always <laughs> see people do that jerk and shit. And I'm like, well, aren't you just getting loose? So I'm like, I feel like. I'm going to get loose if I try to, like, pull, like, yeah, it, it's, I, it, I'm sure it's, like, one little small thing, but I'm just not doing it at all. So, it's do, like, you, do you like to pull conventional or sumo? No, sumo. I always pull sumo. I mean, yeah. not always pull sumo. In training, it's more conventional, but, yeah, I, that's what I pull in meets. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a preference. Yeah, for that one especially, I found it was, like, you know, spreading your taint is obviously an amazing cue for that. And then I almost, like, squat a little bit and try to pull the bar you know what I mean? Like you squat a little bit lower so that when you go to pull the slack out of the bar, you're now in that spot right where you have maximal tension. Right. That makes sense. Now, where do you work on that? Are you working that out, working that more out on your speed day? Or do you ever spend time just trying to work on it just on like an off day? Just like put 135 on the bar, be like, oh, let me just try to work on my technique. Honestly, I found the volume on the speed days to be kind of enough a lot of times, you know, right. especially because you want to practice it with some intensity. Right. You know, it's it's nice like teaching somebody these movements with lightweight, but if powerlifting is the goal or generating power is the goal or overall strength is the goal, like you need to practice moving that weight quickly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I find like pulling into the band stuff like that, it can really help you embrace that, especially because I know a lot of people ask, Well, how does it apply to raw lifters? Well, I think mm-hmm. where I've noticed the biggest help is like really driving that out of the hole and not having that, you know, run into the wall right away feeling. Right. Right. You can get a little bit of a break and then the band starts pulling on it. Or then I honestly like chains better for people that don't use equipment just because the resistance profile matches more what we do naturally, more of that mm. gradual build. Um, but on deadlifts, I think the, the bands can be beneficial to just make the things really explosive. Are you lifting but, raw yourself? Yeah, I just do it as a hobby mostly. I haven't even done a powerlifting meet. I was going to and then I discovered how weak my adductor was trying to do some below parallel box squats. Uh, well that's not gonna do me any good in a lifting meet <laughs> so um yeah no i train like more like a power lifter and stuff or just like an athlete with the conjugate system because i didn't realize it but i grew up being athletic and then when i did all the conjugate stuff and i could do like the prescription i went oh i guess i'm more athletic than i realized <laughs> so but like i've enjoyed the jumps and stuff like that on the dynamic days do you have any oh i was gonna ask that your jujitsu girl does she do jumps not yet i was going to start adding that in so when i started i progress everything right so i treat everybody like their first two weeks with me like i don't know what you've been doing so you're going to do literally the lowest stress type stuff that we can do 
And what it'll do metabolically is it's going to do nutrition partitioning. So it's going to start shoving more carbohydrates into your muscles for more fuel. Uh, It's not going to be very taxing neurologically, not very taxing hypertrophy wise. And it will just make the cells actually just work better. Like the mitochondria work better, things like that. So that later on, when we add the intensity, you have the fuel and stuff available for that. Right. So it's been, I've only been working with her for, I think, I don't know, nine or 10 weeks. So the first couple of weeks are like that. And then we start, I kind of start sprinkling in some intensity type stuff to see where their threshold is. Right. And then the first week we did a very more traditional conjugate stuff went well, but then she had a competition that weekend and felt really drained. And so just as a precaution, I switched it up and took a little bit of that intensity back out because there was supposed to be another one this weekend and then it got canceled. So it's just, you know, the ebb and flow of that type of thing. So just trying to figure out, you know, where is she at now and how much of that can she handle? Um, but like the first week of doing that, she felt really good, but I wasn't sure what happened in the competition to make her feel so drained. So just trying to figure out and limit those variables. But so I think I like to progress people into the conjugate system. It's not something I usually have people start out with. Do you have any powerlifters underneath you? Uh, no, not at the moment. So just the strongman guy? Yeah, yeah, and I actually yeah. kind of enjoy that a little bit more because it's more fun to watch. So I've kind of grown partial, <laughs> <laughs> grown partial to that a little bit. Would you ever have him do any jumps? <laughs> uh, I was having him do broad jumps. Oh, little broad jumps. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when they're that big, you got to think, right? So that's a lot of force landing on that thing. But like a broad yeah. jump, that's not going to be too bad. And like they should be able to jump at some level. You know, yeah. even at Westside, you see those giant dudes. They're doing box jumps with weight and stuff. What about um? Do do you guys have a plow swing at your place? No, unfortunately, we don't. I was gonna say because I know a lot of places that like use kind of system, but with their big guys that can't get them to do like any boxers or anything like that, they'll just mm-hmm. plow swing because it's like all right, low low impact, but right. you can actually still jump pretty hard, right? You know, and all that. Well, and like he's so gifted in that explosive sense that mm-hmm. it's not something we have to tap into a whole lot as of yet. Does that makes sense. Mm. How much of the how much of the stones does do, do you have them do in training? Uh, it just kind of I'd like to tailor it towards the competitions, and so mm. you'll usually know pretty far out if there's any stones. But like he's mm. getting ready for the Arnold's, and there's one surprise event, so it's like uh, um, that's why I don't like strawman. That whole it changes all the fucking time. Oh, dude, there is no, no consistency whatsoever. <laughs> that's why I think the FRC thing applies to them so much more. It's yeah. because there is no way to tell like you did that like. Yeah, there's more efficient ways to do these movements, but at the end of the day, it's just move the damn thing. Yeah, know? they're going. Yeah, they're going to be in a bad, in a bad position, life wise. Well, stone that whole thing. Good position, sport wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's uh. So the FRC really trying to bulletproof the joints, I think, would be you know a big thing for a lot of those athletes to be able to take it to another level. That's why I'm trying to get the local ones around here, trying to start buying into it because we have some pros that are at the 105 level, and it's like, well we can get you guys to start you know winning more consistently and being less injured because like my strongman i always have to point that out to him he's like well i don't know if i'm making progress i go are you injured and he goes no i go well that's doing better than 90 percent of your competition yeah just by that <laughs> you know yeah i'd be scared with them damn stones they'd be looking everybody like we have like five guys at our gym and like two of them tore their bicep doing the fucking stones i'm like yeah, but you, know, you could look at that as a, a function of programming, right? So if you're not yeah. doing the high band work like Louis prescribes or doing some form of like hypertrophy for the biceps and that connective tissue, yeah. you know, that's mm-hmm. going to be a limiting factor. And people, 
that's why the training is so much different than the sport. Like the sport looks like training, but it's not, it's not even close. Mm. Like, there's so many other factors that we as coaches have to factor in that are going into that sport. Right. And that's where I think mm. the dynamic systems theory and dynamic correspondence is such a valuable tool. It's like, once you understand how to apply these concepts and you can break a movement down into these five things and go, okay, well, does it check this box? Yep. It checks this one. This, you know what I mean? And then your training doesn't have to look exactly like your sport. So the law of accommodation no longer becomes something you're battling against. When it, when, when it comes to your strongman guy, how intense is this hypertrophy work? Is it like, you know, just using typical sets of like eight to like 15 reps or is he doing any like drop set supersets? Because he's already so big. How, how much is it? Oh, he's doing level. supersets on everything. <laughs> really? Okay. To keep a GPP, like you're sneaking more GPP in there. Yeah, like once again, so if we're looking at those three categories, right, of neurological, hypertrophy, and metabolic, his neurological is probably the highest one. His hypertrophy is not as high, but it's pretty close. And then his metabolic is really low because he's so big. Right? Yeah. So I need to spend most of my time over here in this metabolic area trying to get that to progress to bring up the weak link, right? So this is just taking that weak link thinking and going further into your energy systems and different stuff in your body that is not just muscles, right? So the conjugate way is always max test to find the weak muscle. Okay, well, that's one good way to do it. But in sport, you have many other things working here that you could be deficient in, right? So like the joint capacity thing is really interesting to me because if you can't express joint capacity for the entire range of motion that you need, well, just applying force to limited ranges of motion is not going to make that bone go through that range of motion anymore or any faster. You know, um, like baseball, for example, is a great one. If you don't have the external rotation, what happens? Well, you tear that UCL and then what happens? Yeah. You got to get a surgery. Whereas potentially if you had more external rotation capacity in your joint and you could really rotate as far back as you needed to to create the velocity you need, well, then that tendon's not the one taking all that force anymore. Right. right. It's more of a smooth transfer of energy. So getting into the physics side of it, you know, you kind of have to break it down into these levels if you really want to get these people to progress to the highest level. What about um, ab oblique and low back work with them? How much and like what are your favorite kind of variations that you have them do? Uh, so N1 that comes <clears throat> the mechanics through, they have a really good adductor exercise or psoas exercise. It's a lying leg raise with a cable. So you're just lying. Okay. You have to pull it all the way up, though, because you'll never target that psoas and the upper adductor with normal ranges of motion, usually. Right. So one, you got to kind of pull up towards the midsection. I've found that to be like I have a weakness there. Um, the guy I started working with yesterday, he's got a weakness there. Uh, <laughs> it's almost every person I put through it. <laughs> Either one side or the other is kind of weak there. And so when you talk about muscles and the antagonist muscles, things like that, you start to learn, oh, well, if this one is weak, it's going to compensate on the other side. So like my adductor longus, for example, is weak. And then the antagonist to that is my glute med. So what it does is when it's tired and fatigued, it pulls on that glute med. Well, my glute med attaches up at my iliac crest of my pelvis, which is in my low back. So yeah. when adductor is fatigued because I've sat so much more now with my online coaching than I do in person, it will pull on the glute med. The glute med will pull on my low back and I'll complain of low back pain. That's me. My adductors are fucking weak too. Yeah. So yeah, I've been trying to add more sumo <laughs> stuff, more things like shit. that, below parallel box squats, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Um, but really what I'm 
finding is the FRC stuff is allowing me to lay new groundwork for these areas that are weak so that I can bring more of the neurological component online to actually get that muscle to start being stimulated. So there's another layer of it, right? So like, yeah, you can do a sumo deadlift. You can do a below parallel box squat, but if you don't have neural drive to that muscle, how do you expect to increase the hypertrophy of that muscle? Right? If there's no electrical signal being sent to that area because there is just no pathway there or it's been worked around because like, so the big thing with athletes that I don't think people realize is they're masters of compensation. Like their bodies look great and they're highly specialized to do one thing, but from a, like a holistic health perspective, they're in shit shape. You know what I mean? And what a lot of it is, is their neurological system is so advanced that they will find ways to make movements happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so the FRC system, you know, dials it back down to that internal training part where we're rewiring the internal parts to get better contraction from the muscles. And then that leads to better hypertrophy and so on and so forth. So the FRC thing is really touted as like mobility, but it's a lot of internal training that allows for you to be able to control your body more. What about um, all the connective tissue work, like band of pushdowns and band of hamstring curls and band tears? How much of that do you have them do? Uh, not as much as you think. Like I said, we're using kind of the FRC for a lot of that stuff, right? So the isometrics are doing a similar thing as what those are doing. So, and then with him, we work on that metabolic type stuff. So that's getting more of that, but the banded work he probably needs, you know, we haven't really found any connective tissue weaknesses yet, so to speak. What about with the jujitsu girl? Um, we haven't really worked with her on that yet either. Cause once again, with the FRC, I have so much luck reversing any of those issues does that make sense so like i use the frc is like this is your introductory to a strength training system and this is going to take care of that ground level of work and what i keep finding is a lot of people are not neurologically efficient enough in certain areas or they don't have the mobility to get into certain areas and that's why they're experiencing these different type of connective tissue pains right so it's not really the connective tissue being weak or not thick enough it's more so that they can't get in good positions, so other stuff's having to compensate, causing pain in those areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't. So really you're solving the real issue. Yeah, I haven't really run into it. connective tissue issues, right? Right, like a pulled hamstring, a bunch of stuff like that. But even with that, what I've discovered with the neurological part of the FRC system is, like, when I threw my back out, for example, what happened was I was doing a zercher squat, and I was maxing out, and I came out of the hole, and I got to the point of straining. And I've been something I've been trying to be cognizant of being better about. And I went, just push. So I went to push and I forgot to brace my core, keep it braced. Mm -hmm. So what happened is one of my vertebrae moved. And when that Mm -hmm. happened, the safety mechanism in the muscle is you have a neurological inhibitor that creates a different stretch reflex. And what happens is when that turns on, when you go to move and you get that like sharp jerky feeling, Mm -hmm. that's that inhibitor. Yeah. So what happened is that like the next day I woke up in fucking tremendous discomfort and pain but i was like there's a way around this i know there is like this is just a muscular thing this is not like this crazy uh, end all be all injury that everybody makes it out to be like i'm so fucked up in the head that when it happened i go oh this is great marketing opportunity like i'm gonna fix this in no time and it'll be fine um but the next day i just ended up it turns into like hour of frc but throughout the day i kept doing these different variations of pails and rails and getting different muscles to release and to relax that makes sense yeah what i ended up finding is mainly because the directors got so fatigued and they're the slowest thing to recover a lot of it was other parts of my body compensating because they were so fried 
So like right. my internal muscles, like when I did that deadlift and squat seminar with Ed Cohen were wrecked. And the only other time I had felt that is I sat through sessions to get my back tattooed and I'd sit there for nine hours at a time. And mm-hmm. one of them, I had to sit upright the whole time with like one leg on the floor and one leg stretched out. And I remember the days after that, the insides of my body were so sore. I had never experienced such type of pain. And that's what this was doing. So like the outside of my body was not able to do what it needed to. So the insides were compensating. And like if I was moving around throughout the day, my back felt pretty good. But anytime I stayed in one spot for too long, whether that was seated or standing, where the muscles could either shorten or lengthen and get stuck there, they would get so pissed. That's me right now, bro. I'm sitting really? at the desk more because you just yeah because I'm usually just at my job more mm-hmm. like programming or you know just writing stuff doing shit for Instagram and it's like if I sit for like three four or or even if I'm standing with the kids for like three four hours and I'm like fuck my back it's like wrecked and then it's like okay I'll just as soon as I move or change that position yeah like I'll go sitting or I go from sitting to standing and then all of a sudden it's like better within like an hour and I'm like. What the fuck? And then, or if I if I uh, do cars, if I dig into my do some psoas rolling out, it's like mm-hmm. okay, it's better. But then it's like as soon as I get stuck in one position again, it's like fuck, god damn, it's bad again. Is it? Yeah. No, I think yeah. after we do this, man, we need to get on a Zoom call and I'll do some FRC with you and we'll see what we can figure out. Yeah, this shit. Yeah, this shit bad. <laughs> yeah, because like they told it as a joint and mobility thing, but I keep finding neurologically I can find a lot of deficiencies. And you can start rewiring a lot of that stuff to get these things to start coming back. Yeah, because it's like right now I'm having to lay down on my couch. I'm sitting. I was sitting at the desk. That <laughs> shit starts to bother me. <laughs> right. I can't even sit there. Yeah. I was like, when I'm at my job, I'll just start, if I'm in the office, I'll just start walking to the gym, trying to. I'll just start doing shit just to get off the damn seat because it's like, oh, yeah, it's in my back. <laughs> it makes you wonder, like, how do normal people function? Yeah, I don't know how people do the desk like nine to five. They talk about working out hurts. I'm like, not moving hurts. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, jeez, please. Like, I got to travel on Friday, and I'm like, dude, I hate it. It sucks. I'm like, where, where are you going? I'm going out to the Conjugate Tactical Dash Two seminar in Vegas. Okay. Oh, oh so the, you've been to the first, been to one already? Yeah, I did the first one in October down in Houston at Misfit Strength. Okay. How did you like it? It was good. I like it. Um. Like I said, he takes a lot of the conjugate concepts and applies it to the more general population. Right. And so I found that to be like a really good way to transition all that stuff I learned. Because like I took the test and passed. Then I went to one of his seminars here in Denver. And then when I went to and that was really like kind of where the light bulb clicked. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of that bridge. Between. He has a test? <clears throat> um, like an online test? So the conjugate tactical is an actual in-person test. It's like a mini version of the West Side Special Strengths one. But no, right. I had actually just passed the Special Strengths test right oh, before okay. I met him and all that stuff. Oh, okay, okay. <clears throat> yeah, so like, I, I had him on my pod, and I remember him talking about it. But I remember him saying, like, we mostly do it just in Indiana. And I was like, damn, I wish there was one closer to Atlanta if I could get to it. Yeah, um, so I think he's been branching out and kind of getting different gyms that will have him come out and do it. Right. That's what we did in Houston as we went down there. And it was, I want to say, like 30 of us. Mm. Um, the one thing I found really cool about the whole conjugate tactical thing is the people that I've met and the coaches I've met through it have all been really cool. So that's been mm. one of the neater networking uh, tools. Yeah. Yeah. Jason's a really smart dude. Um, yeah. Who else? Who else? Is, is it just him that's teaching it? Or does he have like a, a few people that like help teach the course? No, it's just him. Uh, he'll have previous coaches come back. 
Um, mm. They don't necessarily teach stuff. Sometimes they might, but a lot of time it's just him. And it's two days, right? Uh, yes. Well, let me try to think. It might be just one. I don't know. I was there for the whole weekend. Like the day before, we usually work out. So mm-hmm. like the the second one in Vegas is only one day, but like the day before, we all kind of meet up and work out the night before, and then we get mm-hmm. together on the day of and do the actual course learning stuff. What type of workout did he have you do? He didn't have you do all that CrossFit shit, did he? <laughs> no, oh, fuck that. <laughs> so in uh, Houston, we did a dynamic day. Okay, so it was uh, overhead presses, some then you know pretty traditional West Side stuff, tricep rollbacks, band mm-hmm. pull aparts, you know all that right. good stuff. So. I think he, he does a good job of like introducing people to that style of training and what it could look like. And then I think, you know, the tactical athlete being police officers, firefighters, military personnel, like yeah. for the mindset that I look for in my clients, those people just kind of fall right in line with that. Hmm. How many days a week are you training yourself? I'll usually go between three to four days of actual lifting. And then I'll do, you know, two to three days of active recovery, mobility type stuff too. Right now, because I made this stupid challenge that me and Nathan are doing, I walk with that <laughs> fucking sled every day. So, <laughs> Y'all fucking crazy. 30 what, days what are there. the rules for that? What is, Just a yeah. mile pull once once a day. Oh my God. <laughs> I was doing it one day, and I was like, man, this feels really good. And I got on Instagram and started talking shit. I'm like, I'm going to do this every day for 100 <laughs> days at the beginning of the year, blah, blah, blah. And like, I haven't been on Instagram that long. Nobody gives a shit what I have to say. And then he's like, I'll do it with you. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like now you gotta is, stick with it. Yeah, this isn't something that just goes away. <laughs> like last year, I did a uh, hundred kettlebell swings for a hundred days. Just weird shit like that. It's more of a mental thing, right, than a physical thing. But interesting. Shit, I'll take the hundred kettlebell swings. I'll use a six kg in that motherfucker. <laughs> but that damn sled. Don't y'all have to increase the weighted shit? Yeah, I'm a dick, right? I want to. <laughs> I want to avoid accommodations. So every three weeks, dude, we throw ten pounds on there. It's actually not that bad. You'd be surprised. What, it what takes do you start with? 50. You to... 45. Oh, nah. So what is the end weight? 100. Oh. <laughs> For a mile? So how long does the mile take? Where Anywhere are you from... at and how long is it taking now? It takes me – It's I've been averaging 20 to 25 minutes. So, like, that's kind of how I can tell how recovered I am. <laughs> so, like, today I almost got sub-20 minutes. So I'm like, oh, my body's ready to go again. Oh, Whereas, like, some of those days where my back was hurting – or like there's mm-hmm. ice and snow and it's like, well, 25 minutes. Right. <laughs> so the outdoor aspect has made it interesting as well. Cause there's like built in deload days with the snow. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't going to be no deload. Well, if I were to do it, it would just be on our turf inside the gym. So. Yeah. Dude, that is no, that's not even fair comparison. Taking that thing outside <laughs> on the asphalt. And then like, if you go to concrete, Oh fuck dude. It is, it, it jumped like, so when Louie talks about it, right. In the books, it's talking about how that thing needs to jump with every step. Yeah. Well, on the concrete, it just does that automatically. There is no extra force production that needs to be put into what you're doing. Yeah. We have to step extra hard. And it's funny. Cause I'm always forgetting when I'm telling people, no, you got to lighten it low. No, it's really just cause they're on the turf that it doesn't really do it. Like you have to right. have either a million pl- little plates on there or they have to be a really explosive person to like really get it. But Dude, I, you, you want to know what's I, fucked up about the sled? When I started with the uh, cert thing, I was doing sled work, but we only have a prowler sled or only dude. had a prowler sled. So <laughs> I'm pulling that 100-pound fucking thing around to, like, trying to get it to jump every time. I'm like, this seems absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
What are the um, forms of recovery do you do? You do? Um, a lot of times just, you know, the mini workouts I found to be really useful, you know, so doing high rep band stuff can be beneficial. So there's a couple older guy, that old guy I was telling you about that's so strong. I have him doing like a conjugate type program. And usually what I'll have them do on the days in between is they'll do like right now they'll have them do like a kettlebell or maybe even like a strongman circuit just because strongman is like the ultimate GPP builder. That's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Um, and then they'll do, um, like 90 calories on a ski erg or the rower or maybe however many flights on the stair mill, a salt bike even. So some type of actual cardio. And then they'll finish with like 300 seated leg curls or something that they targeted the day before to okay. with that recovery, right? Mm-hmm. I found driving that blood flow just helps make sure everything gets nice and back in order quicker. Mm-hmm. What are some other... um books that you have read or places that you see you get information from that people should read uh the n1 education they have another part of their business called n1 training and you can mm-hmm. buy a membership to the website it is by far the most extensive exercise library i've ever laid my eyes on um mm-hmm. you can pick things based on resistance profile based on strength profile like where you're biasing different things um on the equipment that you have available all kinds of different stuff. So that's always a good resource and they're constantly doing new research and coming out with new stuff. Um, book wise, honestly, I try to find something in everything, right? I haven't really read a whole lot of training books since I had to go through these 15 that they made me go through last year. So <laughs> right. Regular stuff, right? Like business books, different things like that. Um, different <laughs> philosophy type books. So I found like, especially with the way my business is, it's a really holistic approach. So I don't leave any stone unturned. Like we're going to do mental work we're going to do nutritional stuff. We're going to do strength and conditioning. You know, I just use strength and conditioning as the main tool that I use to improve everyone's quality of life that I work with. Um, what are your future goals? Uh, I mean, I'm in the process of just trying to make this as sustainable for myself as I can. I'd like to make it to a point where I could, if I want to be able to do most of my work remotely and travel if I need to, you know, mm. um, but the big thing is I just want to be able to give people the best results they can. So through strength and conditioning, I've been able to create a life that I find to be extra fulfilling. And most of the time I'm happy, like even on the bad days, not really bad days. Mm-hmm. And if I can do that for myself, I think, why can't I provide that for other people as well? Mm-hmm. Well, you have anything else you want to say? Oh, uh, that I could think of right now, man. Well, tell everybody where they can find you or your links and all that stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Instagram is going to be the easiest way. It's going to be elevated, elevated training CO. Um, if you go on there, you can find my link to my website and stuff. Uh, so you can buy, I have pre-made programs that I'm starting to sell on there. Just kind of give people a taste of the training that I like to do. Um, just because like, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not the cheapest person out there. And it's because I think I put so much into what we do. And part of me, I found the more I charge, the better buy-in I get from people as well. Mm-hmm. Right. They're going to take it more seriously. So I, as like an introductory thing, I have pre-made programs people can buy and do like self-guided workouts. Right. So they're not going to have the hands-on attention, but still going to have a lot of the programming and stuff like that available. Oh, shit. Well, it was good having you on, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. We'll get together and do some FRC on Zoom. Oh, yeah. Um, what do you use your free light during the week? uh i usually have pretty open during the middle of the day if you just want to shoot me times that work best for you i can see what i have available oh yeah middle of the, that's usually the good time yeah because that's when it's just like programming that's when i would usually do it anyway mm-hmm. so yeah 
Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. We'll get on there. And like, like I said, when I talk about it, people don't really understand what it is that I do. But then once they get in and we start actually training, they see how all these things that we talk about, whether it's nutrition, mindset, you know, all these different stuff, it all plays a part. And to really get the most out of what you're doing in the gym, all of those things have to align. And then once they do, the synergistic effect that you get from all of that is really pretty incredible. Oh, man, it was a pleasure having you on. Yeah, I'll, appreciate I'll, it. I'll text you in a, in a little bit, and then we'll we'll link up. Sounds good, man. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Have a good one. You too. Well, that's all she wrote for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed As always, give it a like, give it a thumbs up, leave a good review, share it with your friends, subscribe. Um, if you have any questions, you know a coach or you are a coach that would like to be on the podcast, just shoot me a DM. Instagram, that's K-A-L-I-L underscore S-H-E-R-R-O-D. If you'd like to pre-order the book that's coming out soon, which is going to be Conjugate, but it's applied to basketball, as well as drills. So my book is half <clears throat> drills for shooting guards, point guards, big men, so then you can make your drill time more efficient. And then the other half is how I use the conjugate system on basketball athletes and how my training uh improved dramatically when I started using conscious system myself when I was still playing. Um, so that's in the link in the bio on Instagram using Linktree. Um, if you're interested in online coaching with me, you know, just DM me or go to smart strength official. Cause that's where I'm doing all my online training th- uh, through. So we use a true coach. So very efficient. Um, you know, and uh, thanks for listening. Remember stay clean. Peace.